I'm trying to think of something that I will lead with that's not weather related. It's really hard to do, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to think. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're sharing some international reads. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm great. As we're recording, it's a Friday morning and Mm -hmm. the weekend is here. So, I mean, I know know this is going to drop on Tuesday, but let's, we'll be in the weekend for right now. I know. Friday is my favorite day of the week, I think, because I love the anticipation of the weekend. Mm And that even though you would think, because I love the weekend, those would be my favorite days. But no, I think my favorite day is Friday. Well, I agree. I mean, I like Saturdays too. But today, mm-hmm. I when I when I woke up, I was thinking, what am I, what am I, I'm looking forward to tonight is one, reading fairy tale, because I'm still reading yes. fairy tale by Stephen King. And I really had to put that off to the side because, you know, we were, I was reading for international reads. But I'm looking forward to getting back to that. And mm-hmm. then I'm looking forward to catching up on The Patient on Hulu. So Ooh, those are my two look that. forward to things for Friday. It's a it's a wild Friday night, right? I, it sounds literally perfect. <laughs> I need to get to that show. It's on our list. I'm still holding Jonathan to being able to watch shows with me this fall. But Lily and I, uh, Jonathan works tonight, but what we're going to do is watch a spooky movie. I've been introducing her to some of the classics like Hocus Pocus 1 and 2. I guess 2 is not a classic, but yes, we showed her both. I showed her Casper from the 90s, which was my favorite. My girlfriends and I, I think it might have been the first movie I saw in theaters. It's when he's animated the whole time and then Devin Sawa turns into a real boy. And I remember the three of us were like in third grade. We're like, (gasps) (laughs) Oh my God, he's so cute. So I showed Lily that. She didn't have quite the same reaction, but that's actually a really sad... I was weeping by the end of Casper. Oh my. It was awesome. Anyway, so we'll have to figure out what's not scary, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. spooky movie we're watching tonight. I'm excited. Yes. Kid-friendly spooky. Right. Kid-friendly spooky. Mm -hmm. That's what I was trying to think of. Yes. I am also, though, this Friday, typically I do this after work. I like to actually use my Loving Lately. So this is a great segue because my Loving Lately is something I use every week. It's Instacart. (laughs) Awesome. Tell us more. Uh And if you're not familiar, Instacart is an online grocery service. Fall is the absolute busiest season in my house. I know in a lot of other people's houses. John coaches football. I teach two classes and we both have full-time jobs and podcasting. So it's very, very busy. Mm -hmm. And this is a lifesaver. So what you do, you basically go on the app and I think you can do it from your computer and pick your groceries. It knows your location and it picks the stores that are in your area that participate in it. And you can either request to pick it up or request that they deliver it. 
for me, it saves me so much time. I actually enjoy going on the app, picking out my produce, picking out whatever. And if the store is out of something, you can either say refund me or request a replacement. Like I don't care for me what kind of turkey I get. Just get me some sort of turkey, right? Mm -hmm. So you just request a replacement and it's up to the shopper to give you a new one. I will say some stores are more efficient than others in terms of bringing your groceries out to the car. So it like depends on the store that you go to. It depends on how busy they are. And delivery brings it right to your door. And they will even leave it on the porch if you're not home. I haven't done that just because, you know, I'm home or whatever it is. And I don't want my stuff to spoil. But I currently use their Instacart Plus. It's a free trial. I think I have a three-month free trial. And with that, you get free delivery and cash back and lower fees overall, but it does cost $99 a year. So you have to think about how often you'll use it. Mm -hmm. I am not sure if I will renew that. Probably not because I don't use delivery a ton. I prefer to go pick it up. And you're paying slightly more. There's like a fee here and there, but I think it's a service and I am more than willing to pay for the convenience. It's so worth it for me. And also, I find that I'm spending less because when you're on the app, I'm not tempted by looking at the shelves. Like, I know exactly what I'm getting and I order it. It's great if I have Lily because sometimes you don't feel like dragging her out of the car, getting her into the store, that whole thing. I was looking. There's over 500 retailers and grocery stores, and they have even some like convenience stores across North America on their platform. So if this is in your area and if it sounds like it would be helpful to you, I'd say give it a shot. This is not an affiliate code. I'm not affiliated with them, but I will share my code in our show notes. And if you try it, you get $20 and I get $10. So I'll share that. This was Instacart, my loving lately. I love that because I know nothing about Instacart. So I am really... Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you brought that. And I have a couple questions. Mm-hmm. Did you I was say, thinking you might have some follow-up <laughs> you know questions. You know I'm going to have so questions. Ready. Did you say you have a free three-month trial of the Plus? Yes. I okay. have free three-month trial of the Plus. Now, I do not know how I got it. I think it's tied to having a Chase card. They give you a free oh, trial, okay. if depending on the type of bank you use. But I was in the app, and they have a bunch of free trials based on like, oh, if you're a Delta preferred member, whatever. So go in the app and see what the free trials look like. Okay, great. That's okay. Good tip. Is Trader Joe's an option? No. Literally, no. I would be broke if they were. (laughs) Like, they're smart for not being on there because, like, people go nuts for Trader Joe's, myself included. And, like, it would be the wild, wild west if Trader Joe's was on there. But no, I don't believe, maybe, at least not in my area, I don't think they're anywhere. Probably not. Well, we we have to just check our stores. And this is great because one of my least favorite things to do is go to the grocery. I really I will wander thinking because once I get there, I start thinking, well, what do I want to cook? And yeah. that, you know, you gotta do that before much, you get there, babe. I can't, I'm not a good food planner like you are. Oh. I'm really not. And I just would rather order online. I just, and I did that with Whole Foods this week, but they started charging $10 delivery fee, $9.95, which I'm not crazy about. They never used that's to a, do that. That's a lot. I don't, I don't know if Whole Foods is on there or not, but I love it for pickup because pickup is. I can't, I'm like, is this, this, how is this so easy? I've used it literally a hundred times. Like no joke. We used it all throughout the pandemic and it was awesome because I didn't, I'm not bringing my newborn into the stores, mm-hmm. you know, in 2020. So I use this every single week. I love it. Okay. That's a great, great loving lately. My loving lately is one of my new favorite purchases and I'm actually wearing them right this second. They are my cash soft straight sweater pants from The Gap. 
Uh, I love these so much. They are exactly what they say. They are sweater pants, but they are not too heavy. They are not too hot. They're just right. They're very soft, hence the name Cash Soft. (laughs) They're just the right length. Why they're such a big winner for me, besides the fact that they're really soft and they're warm, they have pockets. I Mm -hmm. have to have pockets. I usually have, I always, this, I always take Vinny out at night. Like I go out with him when he, he goes out to go to the bathroom at night and I need pockets to put treats in. (laughs) So I love to have pockets or if I want to slip my phone in, these are my PJ lounging pants. I got black, of course. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would be fine to even wear these to the grocery. I mean, you can wear them out. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm. Oh, I would. I'm sure I would. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And there's plenty of colors. I did end up ordering a second pair just to have an extra. And I also have a Gap credit card. So I got a really good sale. I think they were running a sale. Maybe they will at the time this episode drops too, where card members get like 40% off plus an additional 10, which is what I got. And then you also accumulate Gap cash Mm -hmm. for future purchases. So to me, it's just a win-win. That is my cash soft straight sweater pants from the Gap. Are these your quitters? I don't even, I'm not calling them my quitters. Because I am, because they're nice. I am not they're elevated. I, they are nice and comfy. But yes, Darren would consider them my quitters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that's why I was For sure he to would. begin with. Because I'm like, <laughs> I just remember you saying that you he, would. He calls them quitters. Uh huh. Uh, anyway, okay. <laughs> yours is bad. I love yours. I mean, mine's easy. But if anyone is like me, I'm so picky about my like PJ lounging pants, especially Mm -hmm. in cold weather, that these were a fine. Oh, I have no doubt that when you bring a piece of clothing, it's like definitely worth it. I've been wearing the same Old Navy sweatpants for a hundred years, I think, like forever. So I'm probably due for an upgrade. (laughs) Well, you can give them a try. All right. Let's get into latest reads. Latest reads are interesting today. We were kind of taking a different tack today. Both of these are books that Renee and I either have read or are reading. My latest read is Fairy Tale by Stephen King. And let me tell you about it. This is about a 17-year-old boy who inherits the keys to a parallel world where good and evil are at war, and the stakes could not be higher for their world or for ours. Charlie Reed looks like a regular high school kid. He's an athlete. He's great at basketball and football. He's a fine student. But he carries a heavy load and had to do a lot of work to get there. Because when he was young, his mom was killed in a hit-and-run accident. And his dad's grief drove him to drink, so he became an alcoholic. So he was seven when this happened, and he learned how to take care of himself and his dad. But then his dad gets sober, and everything seems a little bit more stable. And then Charlie, when he's in his senior year, meets a dog named Radar. And Radar is kind of this Sandlot-esque dog. It has like a, you know, this reputation in the neighborhood. People are kind of afraid of Radar. And Radar's master, a man named Howard Bowditch. And he's a recluse in a big house at the top of a big hill. And he's got a locked shed in his backyard that sometimes emits pretty strange sounds. So Charlie runs across Mr. Bowditch and Radar, and he starts doing jobs for him. And eventually he finds that Radar is a big softy, and he falls in love with this dog. They have a great relationship. So much so, eventually, Mr. Bowditch fills Charlie in on 
what the sounds in his garage truly are and where they're coming from. And I'm going to leave it there because that's all you need. I loved this book, and it's no surprise. I love King's writing, and I love most of his books, but this was an experience where I kept getting sad when I'd have to stop and get pulled away from it. I'm like, no, I want to keep reading. And I did a combination of print and audio. Charlie's a great character and one to root for, even though he does not sound like a kid would sound today. He says some things that make him sound like an old man wrote him, which he did. (laughs) So I forgive it because I just think it's so great to me that King's like, whatever. I'm not look, I'm not looking up what the normal slang is. Like I'm gonna make him sound like I want to. And what I loved is I literally had no idea what the story was about. Didn't care. I was in it for the ride. So you're reading in the beginning pages and pages of how Charlie comes to take care of this elderly man. Not the most exciting stuff on paper, but I didn't care. I literally was hooked. And then toward the middle of the book, you see why the book is called Fairy Tale. And I really, really enjoyed the creativity of this. If you want a story about a boy and his dog, you might like this. Or if you've been curious about Stephen King's writing, but was hesitant to try some of his scarier stuff, I think this is a great entry point because you still get his fantastic world building, his writing, but it's not scary. I also highly recommend the audio. Seth Numerich does an awesome job. He narrates the majority of it, and there might even be an appearance from Stephen King himself. Highly recommend this book. It was super entertaining, and this is Fairy Tale by Stephen King. Yes. So my intention was to have that finished to talk about it with you today, and I don't have it finished. That's why I'm looking forward to reading it tonight. I'm curious. Do you know why it's called Fairy Tale yet? No, not yet. Got it. Okay. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. I do not. But you are exactly right. In I have already been thinking that Charlie sounds like Like he's he's, (laughs) Yes, at least 65 or 70. But also, in my head, I did exactly what you said. I was like, this is odd, but I don't care. Because, I mean, Stephen King, he can do what he wants and he pulls it off, even though, even though in your mind, you're like, that's odd. But then you just Mm -hmm. keep on going because it is what it is and it's part of the story. And I still want to know what I can't wait to get back to it. And I, and I Mm -hmm. really like Charlie and it doesn't matter. I just started to think, okay, well, he's, he's just truly an old soul. And and that's what I'm going to, that's how I'm going to keep going. Literally same. I had the same thing and he is an old soul. So I Mm -hmm. kind of get that. Like he does, he is an old soul. And I, uh, I love that character. I, I love this book. And like now that I'm talking about it again, I'm a little sad it's over. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this. I could see myself rereading this one. I really could, especially certain parts. Yeah, I am excited about what you said about the audio because I've actually only been reading in print because oh, wow. I, I bought the print, I bought the print book because I I absolutely wanted to keep it and have it. I mean, everyone knows we love. Stephen King. I haven't loved Mm -hmm. all of the books that I've read by him, but I still, I wanted this one. I love the cover. And you will know too, Tina, that every chapter has a sketch. So we could see what the house looks like. We could see Radar and Charlie. And I love that, but I am going to switch to audio at one point. I'm just going to start alternating, but I haven't done that yet. Yeah. And I think it's totally worth the alternation because you're right. In print, it's nice. And I really did. A lot of times I say I did both and I sample it on print, but do most of it on audio. This one was a 50-50 split primarily because I literally did not want to put it down. I was like, mm-hmm. I got to go, but I want to keep reading. Um, it was it was really good. 
Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you too. This is a this is one for people who don't want horror or like like anything gory, I think. At least so far from where I am, I don't have any vibes of like horror or scary. So <laughs> all right. My latest read is also one that we have, well, we have actually both read. So it is The Drowning Kind by Jennifer McMahon. And we just finished that this recently for our Book Talk, Etc. book club. So I ended up listening to this one. The audio is by Joy Osmansky and Imani Jade Powers. And it was great on audio. Because this is a dual timeline story. And the overriding theme of this is be careful what you wish for. And that is exactly what happened in this story. So in one, in present day or in 2019, you have social worker Jackie. And Jackie and her sister, Lexi, have a very volatile type of relationship. And Lexi ends up calling Jackie repeatedly She's very manic, and this is kind of par for the course for Lexi. She has periods of mania where she becomes out of touch with reality. And so on these phone calls, she's leaving these odd messages about something that she found, and she needs Jackie to pick up the phone so she can tell her about this new information. Well, Jackie doesn't pick up the phone, and then the next day finds out that Lexi is dead. She drowned in the pool um, on their grandmother's estate. So Jackie packs up. She goes to the house to go through her sister's things, and she starts learning that Lexi was researching the history of their family and the property, specifically the pool. And as she dives deeper into the research, she ends up discovering that the land holds a far darker past than she could have ever imagined. Now, the other timeline is 1929, and you have 37-year-old newlywed Ethel, and she is desperately hoping for a baby. She and her husband end up taking a trip to Vermont, where they stay at a new and modern hotel where there is a natural spring. And it's reported that this spring holds the power to grant wishes. So, of course, Ethel is into that and, you know, ends up making a wish. From there, her story takes off. The thing that she either doesn't spend too much time thinking about or ignores is that along with rumors of the pool granting wishes, people also say what the pool gives, the pool also takes. And the story goes back and forth between these two timelines. And we find out a a lot about what's happening. And it was so atmospheric. For me, I was equally invested in both timelines, which doesn't always happen. I'm usually one or the other, but I was really, really into both of these. And when I started this book, I went in with fairly low expectations, even though I really like Jennifer McMahon. I like her writing. I've read other books by her. I know, like she's a, I would consider her a trusted author. I was very hesitant about the fact that any sort of swimming pool was going to creep me out. <laughs> because of course, I, I don't know about you, but I pictured like, how could a swimming pool cre- like 
what what is could possibly be hiding in there or what what could be what could be so scary about that but this is not any ordinary chlorinated swimming pool <laughs> this is a creepy creepy pool and the history and the estate and the surround it's surrounded by woods it, she just did a fantastic job of setting the story in an atmospheric tone and i totally bought in to what was happening. I actually really, really liked the progression of the story and how it ended. I I was very happy. I thought there was surprising twists and turns. And I I really liked it. A solid, I I definitely, I had, I think I I landed about four stars. Mm -hmm. I think I'm right there with you. I agree. It was solid. I had no expectations at all because what I love about our BTE book club that we do for our patrons periodically is that we pick some books and then we vote on it. Mm -hmm. So I had no, I would never have picked this up if it wasn't for the book club for no real reason. I just was not on my radar. So when I knew the meeting was coming up, I'm like, all right, let me turn this on on audio. And I was sucked in immediately because that opening is incredible. Mm -hmm. And like you said, and this is not a spoiler, it's literally there in the premise, but you feel for Jax because she's ignoring her sister's Mm -hmm. calls. And it turned out that was the very last time that her sister ever called her. I really enjoy this a lot. And you put it perfectly in the very beginning when you said, the theme of this book is be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's perfectly said. I think this book is great. If you want something atmospheric, you want something that's giving you the fall vibes and just a tiny sprinkling of spooky. I don't think this is overly gory no. graphic, mm-hmm. anything like that, but it is a little spooky, but mm-hmm. we had a good ch- good time chatting about this. Yes. And the side characters are great. I mean, to me, this was just an all around great story. Well plotted, good characterization. Just really, I really, really liked it. And I'm glad I wouldn't have picked it up either. And only because Mm -hmm. I knew it was about, I knew it was about a swimming pool. And I thought, well, I don't know. I don't know that I would like that. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. I read it. That's The Drowning Kind by Jennifer McMahon. All right. We do have a listener latest read today, and I think it ties in perfectly. It's from Tina Restow on Instagram. And she did a perfect job. She sold it to me. And she recommends Hester by Lori Lyko Albanese. And she says she didn't much like the book, The Scarlet Letter, but she really liked this one. And I asked her to tell me a little bit more. And she says that she enjoys books that are fictionalized accounts of real events. Or in the case of Hester, the author has imagined what Nathaniel Hawthorne's inspiration for writing The Scarlet Letter might have been. And she says she loves historical fiction, and this one feels right for this time of year as it also centers around women being accused of witchcraft in Salem, Massachusetts. I love that premise, and I do also really enjoy historical fiction that's a little bit moody, atmospheric. Mm -hmm. Like, that is my sweet spot with historical fiction. This one also has a great cover. So I'm excited to give that one a shot. That's Hester by Lori Lyko Albanese. Yes, that's on my radar for sure. So even though today our topic, we kept it relatively broad, it's international reads, we thought it would be fun to really take a deep dive and talk more about books and translation. And I honestly didn't really think much about this previously, which sounds terrible, but I'm going to admit it. I never really sat there and considered like, wait a minute, what all goes into translating Mm -hmm. fiction? And you did a great job with this research. In, in kind of setting it up, why reading translated books is so important. 
If reading a book is stepping out of your own head and sharing someone else's, then a book written in a country, culture, and language different from yours is the ultimate experience in seeing a different perspective. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And just in case anyone's interested, I will link to the articles that I use to get some of this information because, um, yeah, I mean, this was not stuff that we just had. You know, sometimes with book talk, we can just share our opinions. But yeah, this is, I really had to look up this. And it's very interesting because it's not talked about a lot, even though I do read books in translation. So, what do you think is the most translated version of a genre? Or should I say, were you surprised to find out? Oh, it is in the script. Yes, I yes. do know. <laughs> But I was very surprised because you just asked that. I was like, dang, I don't know. Let me think. But yeah, I thought this, for me, it was a surprise. It's children's stories. I was very surprised Isn't by that. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And like, think about, my gosh, all of the stories that there, there has to be across the world. And like, how fun that there are people that are translating them. Now I'm like, wait, do, does Lily own any translated children's stories? I, I don't know. I'm going to have to take a look and see. Right. I mean, I think kind of like with audiobook narrators, we, we try to mention those. I think I'm especially going to be more conscious of also mentioning the translator because in order for a book to be translated, not only, you know, does the translator have to do so much work, but there's also a process. So uh, for books to get translated in the U.S., I didn't realize this, but it's a very rare for that to happen. Only about 3% of all the books published in the U.S. are works in translation. That's really, wow. that's, that's low. So low. Compare the U.S. to Italy, 50% mm-hmm. are translated. So how do they get translated? Well, it seems that either there's a group of U.S. book agents, like U.S. agents, and they have close ties to specific regions, or they have relationships with international agents or publishers. Because the big five publishers, meaning HarperCollins, Hachette, Macmillan, Penguin Random House, and Simon & Schuster, they are not focused on international translated books. Only 14% of what they publish are books in translation. Mm. Wow. So I wonder if it's a lot of more indie publishers then that are coming out with the translated books. Yes, it is. Um, so I didn't know this either. There are nonprofit presses. And there, I had only heard of one of them, which is Europa Editions. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I had heard of. But there's Restless Books, New Vessel Press, Open Letter, Archipelago Books, and several others. And their mission is to curate a diverse roster of international authors. Turns out they publish most of the books in translation in the U.S. market, and that, mm. which is 86%. And what was the name of this one? That was, those are nonprofit presses. Oh, all of those all together of those, publish. All uh, of those. That makes so sense. So again, okay. I will link to the article where I found this because- now I'm interested. I didn't know about any of these presses except for the one I mentioned. I would love to go check out what everybody else is publishing as far as books and translation. So that feels like a great way to get some new recommendations mm-hmm. because who knows what we are missing out on because it's not translated to the US yet. 
I was fascinated to think about the actual literal work of a translator. Mm -hmm. It's not easy because it's not as though you are literally translating word by word the original text into this new language. Languages use entirely different systems, and you can't just switch a word from Spanish to English or vice versa. English, as we know, has its own structure and its own lexicon and the slang that we use, as do all other languages, and they're not exactly the same. And I was thinking about this, too. This article is quoting a translator. If it's a question of my not being able to translate a passage because there are words I don't know and I can't find them anywhere, I'll ask the author. I'm like, oh, I was thinking, I wonder how much work or how much oversight the author has into their translated work. Because presumably, and maybe not always, but presumably the author doesn't speak in the languages that it's being translated to. Right. And from what I found, they usually do have a relationship with each other where the translator can go back to the author and say, yeah, I want to make sure that, you know, I have this clear Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but I thought this was really fascinating. A big exception to that is the translator, Anne Goldstein, who translates Elena Ferrante's Beautiful Friend series, which I haven't read, but those are super popular. And once they were translated, mm-hmm. sold over a million copies. Now, we, I mean, I, you probably know, which I did know, that the author is like no one knows what she looks like. No one meets, you know, she is. A, no, I don't know. Oh, you didn't her. know that. Uh-uh. No one I has don't... ever seen her what? except her, I would. I don't even know. I'm I'm going to say that I don't know if her publishers have. I'm assuming they might have, but no one knows what she looks like. And that's the that is her condition for continuing to write the books. No I one knows. Love that. Who that she is, is so Mysterious. I'm Isn't into it. I had no crazy? idea. <laughs> so the, the translator for all of those books and the translator, Anne, has become quite popular herself. She's become a well-known translator. She's not able to meet with her, but the only way she can communicate with the author is through her publishers. Fascinating. That's really cool. I'm glad you filled me in on that because I had never heard that before. I know. It may, and also, I wish I would have remembered that book. <laughs> Because I've oh, always been, <laughs> when you're prepping for the yeah, show for this show, I've always been curious to see if I would like it because it is yeah. my brilliant friend. I think is the first book in that series, but I don't know. I, I I it didn't cross my my radar. So you can always bring it. I'm thinking we need to do a full episode dedicated on translated fiction down the line, so we could always bring it later on. I'm going to avoid it because it's a series, so you know I'm not into. Oh that. yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. The top three most frequently translated languages are French, German, and Spanish. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would have guessed. Um, I don't think I would have gone with German as my top three, but I thought that was interesting. And there still is a significant gap between the number of titles in the translation database written by men and those written by women. There's about 60% written by men and then 35.7% written by women. Right. Yeah, not surprising that there's a gap in the... Mm-hmm. in that statistic. What I also found a bit discouraging in my research was since 2016, the amount of books being translated has steadily decreased. Yeah. I, that's unfortunate because I, I don't know. I hope that I hope that reverses because I think I think we need 
more books in translation. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize there was such a low amount and that they were decreasing because when I read a book in translation, sometimes I, number one, forget it's being, it's a book in translation. Mm -hmm. And one of my picks today is like that. And I don't always pay attention, which I will now, but there's such benefit to reading a book that's translated from another language as far as, like you said in the beginning, culture and you learn, you know, places and people and just, uh, there's something about it. For sure. And we're going to link an article to the eight most translated books in the world. And what do you think is number one? Well, I know because uh, (laughs) I I was surprised, but it's the Bible. The Bible. Yeah, I wasn't surprised. I was like, I could see that for sure. Number two surprises me. Number two is The Little Prince. Huh. Okay. But here is what is most surprising to me about that. I did not know there are 7,151 languages in the world. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. So the Bible has been translated into 3,350 languages. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's so, so many. I'm fascinated by language. I love language. I should have been a translator in another life. Oh, I should have done it. That's your in another life career. That's my in in another life career. I did not know that about you. I love language. What do you love? Okay. You love language. I know. And I never studied it because I got tested out of all my English classes in college, all my, you know, I just didn't take it because I tested out of it. I'm like, somebody should have said, hey, you really like language. You really like reading and literature. Like maybe this should be your major instead of psychology. But I love psychology too. Okay. That's fascinating. I didn't know that about you. Oh yeah. Anyway, I do want to tell you about the books that we read for International Reads. I have one in translation, but the first one I'm going to talk to you about is not in translation, but it is set in Mexico. It is The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas. This book has the most perfect comps. So sometimes comps are books that publishers compare the book that's coming out to. They'll they'll make comparisons for books that are similar, and sometimes they're hit or miss. This book is billed as Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca. Perfect. Perfect, perfect comparison because they got it right. This is a debut supernatural suspense book set in the aftermath of the Mexican War of Independence, which I loved because I knew very little about that particular point in time in Mexico. It's about a remote house and a sinister haunting and the woman, Beatriz, who gets pulled into it all. So during the overthrow of the Mexican government, Beatriz's father was a general and he was actually executed and her home was destroyed. That's the beginning. And then, you know, she's she's struggling. She and her mother are trying to make ends meet. But then handsome Don Rodolfo Solorzano proposes. And so she ignores the rumors surrounding his first wife's sudden demise and takes her chances because she's really all about trying to secure this home and secure some safety for her family or for her mom and herself. Because he has this estate in the countryside. He has servants, all of these things. So she agrees, okay. I'm going to have my own home again, no matter the cost. But Hacienda San Isidro is not the sanctuary she imagined. So she gets there and pretty much immediately you can tell something's up with this place because then Rodolfo leaves to go to work at the Capitol. And she's stuck here with his sister, who apparently still lives there, and the servants, and then some people in town. She starts to have visions. She starts to hear voices. And she's like, okay, I, and she keeps saying this, and I kind of loved it. I am the daughter of a general. 
they are not going to drive me away from this home. Like, she's just very headstrong, and I loved her as a character. It's just so interesting. She's right. Something is wrong with the hacienda, and no one is there to save her except this young priest, Padre Andres. Padre Andres knows about the house's history. He has his own he has his own backstory. I would recommend not reading too much into the synopsis because I think it gives away some of the fun reveals. But we find out that San Isidro is not going to be this sanctuary that she thought it was. There is a lot to like about this. There's definitely this spooky element. So if you're still into spooky season like I am, I think this is a good choice. Again, I knew very little about Mexico during this time period, so I appreciated that. I loved the setting. I loved the mentions of food. And Beatriz is from Cuernavaca, which is where my best friend is from. Her family's from in Mexico. And I've been to Cuernavaca, which is this small, I mean, it's, I don't think it's very small, but it's a, it's not your Cancun, Acapulco. It's mm-hmm. a town in central Mexico. And I was like, I've been there. So it like really kind of connected me to that story. You get a little bit of a dual point of view because once the priest is introduced, he gets a perspective. But they used it so sparingly. It was done super well because it wasn't this 50-50 back and forth. And sometimes I hate when books feel like or when authors feel like they have to give equal time to both perspectives. Mm -hmm. This one, he was only given a voice when it made sense. I thought there were a ton of good reveals. If you are a person who read Mexican Gothic but thought it was a little bit too out there, I think this one is a little bit more accessible It's kind of a murder mystery, too. There's definitely generational secrets, great tension, and I really, really enjoyed the wrap-up of this one, so I do recommend it. This was The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas. I keep wanting to call this La Hacienda, but I'm like, wait, The Hacienda. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's it's a really good book, and I'm so happy that I got to this one because it was my pick last year. I think I brought it to a Books on the Radar or a Shelf Edition. So oh, I'm like, good. I got good to finally you. cross this off my yeah. list. Did you say any that you did that in audio at all? I did. I combined and the audio was good. Okay. Nothing noteworthy either way. Okay. All right. Good. My first book is going to take us to the Cornish Coast in Great Britain. It is called In Her Wake by Amanda Jennings. And this is a book about a woman named Bella who had a perfect life until she discovered it wasn't her own. You have a tragic family event that ends up revealing devastating news that will rip Bella's comfortable existence apart. So Bella ends up embarking on a personal journey to uncover the truth. During this journey, faces a series of traumatic discoveries that will take her to the rugged Cornish coast where hidden truths, past betrayals, and a 25-year-old mystery threaten not just her identity, but also her life. This is a story, psychological thriller. However, I'm going to tell you why I don't think it was a thriller. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it questions the nature of family and reminds us that sometimes the most shocking crimes are committed close to home. All right. This is a book that I read and that's all I knew. And I think that if that sounds good to you, jump right in because you don't need to know a lot about this story. Know that the setting is perfect and you are going to be given a very layered story. Now, I said I don't think this is a psychological thriller. What I do think it is, is a 
very excellent blend of a character-driven mystery and psychological suspense. It's my favorite type of psychological suspense because it involves characters that you become very invested in, but it also, there's like many surprises along the way. So Bella heads to Cornwall and the writing is very vivid. The details are very vivid. The house is set on a cliff and the author does such a great job of showing us the jagged rocks, the breaking waves. And also Bella is standing at one point at the edge of this cliff and contemplates how it would feel to just let herself fall. So by the time that that particular scene is set, I was super invested in Bella. And that is what I think makes a great psychological suspense because the story is, what did she uncover? What are the secrets? And what's going to happen? In this story, she ends up connecting with a wide cast of characters. There is a, a lady named Dawn. There's Alice. There's Mark. There's Greg. And there's even Phil the barista who quickly became one of my very favorite characters. For me, I know that I've struck gold when an author makes me care about a secondary character like Phil. And while I really, truly felt for Bella, in the end, I found myself most connected to Dawn, which was surprising because she is rather unlikable when we are first introduced to her. However, her story I found to be heartbreaking, and I wanted some level or some measure of happiness for her. The question is, will she and Bella find any happiness? Will anyone in this saga, which it really ended up being a really well-done saga to me, will anyone achieve peace? You have to read to find out. But for me, Bella's search for identity after her devastating losses and betrayals became also a journey of self-discovery for many of the characters. And I couldn't wait to find out how all their lives connected, how did their stories intertwine, and I was not able to put this book down. I think if you're in the mood for a compelling, haunting, atmospheric story that I would say is a classic tale of psychological suspense, along with engaging writing and characters, this is the book for you. And for those of you who need a good twist here and there to make your psychological suspense complete, Amanda Jennings has you covered. So that was In Her Wake by Amanda Jennings. Good. I don't know much about this author, this period mm-hmm. of this place in the world. So I, it does sound good, though. Really? And you're right. That's my kind of psychological suspense. Like, I love that sort of build up. Like, I enjoy that. Yes. It's a build up. It's like like a, like a mini roller coasters. You have ups and downs, and it's not all, like, centered on some manipulative twist. There mm-hmm. is, I don't nuance. know. Nuance. Yeah. And, and just the, the quote-unquote twists that may be in the story are part of the characters and the story itself, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a good right. one. Okay. Let me tell you, let me tell you please about my book too. <sighs> Y'all, if you're a patron, you've already heard about this book because it was in our fall mailbag episode. It is called Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Bazterica. 
I am going to tell you about it, though, in case you haven't heard about it. This is horror. So let me just say that straight up. And it's about this man named Marcos. And Marcos works at the local processing plant. He's in the business of slaughtering humans, although no one calls them that anymore. You see, there has been a virus that has infected all animal meat and all animals. So animals all had to be slaughtered. There are no more animals on the earth. And the government then initiated the transition, which means that eating human meat, known as special meat, is legal. Now, Marcos is a good guy in my assessment, all things considered, right? All things considered, he tries to stick to numbers. He tries to stick to processing because he's kind of this manager at this processing plant because his family business used to be processing regular meat. And now with the transition, he processes the other kind of special meat. Mm -hmm. And he's doing it for a very good reason because his father, whom he inherited the family business from, has dementia. And he's not with it, but he has to pay to keep him in this really pricey facility. And he and his wife are really going through something pretty terrible. So he's just trying to keep his head down and focus on the work. And the person that owns the plant apparently is rather generous because one day Marcos is given a gift. He's given a live specimen of the finest quality. And he's aware that he's not allowed to make any sort of personal relationships or to even treat this specimen as human, he has a heart. And so he starts to give her clothing. He starts to give her a little bit more contact and things evolve from there. This book is exquisite. I cannot believe what I just read. Obviously, it's super disturbing. It is so very unsettling because think about what you're reading about. But the worst part about this reading experience was that I got used to it. I was like, okay, yeah, the humans got it. You get used to it. And I think that is the point of this. Believe it or not, this is more dystopian. It's not like a slasher. It's not like body horror, which, you know, there's definitely creepy elements. There's definitely things that are upsetting to read for sure. Mm -hmm. But I more so think this book is about what would happen if humans could not eat meat at all. It's, It's poisonous to them. Now what? are the alternatives. And you're assuming they did have meat alternatives in the book. And like for for reasons, that wasn't a good enough substitution. So you're just kind of plopped into this world where it's understood that's what you're doing and people like it and only the richest of the rich are able to afford it. Holy cow, this book. (laughs) It's short. It's about 200 pages, but it took me a little bit to read because I would read a little bit at a time and I like would sit back and think, why am I reading this? And the reason I'm reading it is because it's so fascinating. If you have, okay, if you hear me out, if you have a dark book club, you have a book club filled with people that don't mind things that are out there, this would be a perfect pick. Perfect pick because I definitely want to discuss this with somebody. I'm going to make Jonathan read it because he was already intrigued from <laughs> Mailbag. So now he's like, all right, I'm definitely going to read it. I am just, I I guess I'll leave it there. I don't know what else to say other than, gosh, this book makes you question morality, but it's so interesting. There's grief in this book, and there are folks in the world that die, and there are folks that are grieving that loss, but at the same time, y'all are killing humans. Mm -hmm. They're raising humans for the specific purpose of having meat available. So it was just so interesting to see that dichotomy between being at this funeral, oh, and by the way, 
this is where you work at this processing plant. This I would call dystopian horror. I really, really liked this book. Five stars for me. It's so good. I'm, I have had this on my list for a long time. I've been waiting to read this for October, and I'm so glad that I picked it up. This book is in translation. It is from originally in Spanish, and the author is from Argentina. So I'm really glad I read it. I don't know what to say. If you've read it and want to chat, let me know. I I, <laughs> I just, look, I can't say anything else without spoiling it. This was Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Bazterica. Wow. I will say wow again because I said wow when you brought it to Mailbag. And I still want to know about Marco and his dilemma. So you yeah. you still yeah. have me completely intrigued wow, wow, because wow. that's what a creative unique story so creative so creative and it is it's really well written i do want to mention the translator her name is sarah moses and i thought it was really well translated i did not i mean there was no gaps in what i was like mm-hmm. what is this about like it felt really well done Oh, I kind of want you to read it, Renee. I think you can handle oh, it. Man. Now, I cannot vouch for the audio. And Jonathan pointed this out. He's like, I think I'm going to listen to it. But like, I don't know if I can stand. Like, it's going to sound creepier in your ears. So we'll see. I, d- I don't know how good the audio is. So for you, I think you were clear. But for people like me and others wondering, the processing details, are they minimal? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> they're maximal. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. They're they're definitely you're in the you're you spend a lot of time in the processing plant. I'll put it that way. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's well, so I good mean, though. It's so good. Uh, wow. I, you yeah. You've got whew. you've got me intrigued. That is for sure. Wow. All right. Well, what do you have for us? Is it lighter? Well, I have. It's it is lighter in comparison to okay. that. Well, it so is, is Pet Cemetery. <laughs> but <laughs> all right. This is. We Know You Remember by Tove Ostradal, and it is translated by Alice Menzies. Now, this is in my sweet spot of Scandinavian noir. It's also been awarded the best Swedish crime novel of the year, and this was the author's American debut. It's so good. It's so good. It's billed as a classic police procedural meets mm-hmm. Scandinavian atmosphere. That is perfect. And it's also my favorite type of police procedural. And I'm going to tell you why. This is about the story of a missing girl, a hidden body, and a decades-long cover-up. And in the beginning, you have Olaf Hagstrom. He is just returning to his family's house after more than 20 years of being away. And he hasn't seen or spoken to his family in 20 years. So he's returning to the house. And as soon as he gets there, he knows something is wrong. The front door is open. Inside, there's a panicked dog, a horrible smell, and water pooling on the floor. What he finds is that upstairs in the shower, his father is dead. So he does what anyone would do and runs. And the story does take off from there. This is the opening scene. And shortly after, we meet police detective Eira Sojourn. And she is going to lead the investigation into the suspicious death 
of Olaf's father. Now, interesting to find out, Eira was only nine years old when Olaf, who, when he was 14, was found guilty of raping and murdering a local girl. The case left a mark on the town because he confessed. However, there was no body. She was technically missing, although he said he killed her. Her body was never found. So you have this current day possible murder of his father, and then you have the past case that he confessed to. So you, you're going to put all that together, and Era is in charge of leading the investigation. And she also becomes very intrigued by the case uh, from 20 years ago when she was nine. So this is, like I said, a police procedural. What I loved is the atmosphere was fantastic. I love books set in Sweden. I love crime fiction set in Sweden. And I love female protagonists who are strong and smart and in charge of the police investigation Mm -hmm. and everything. Like the way the author and translator was able to give the story, you get the details but you don't get bogged down in the boring details, if that makes sense. Because I know Mm -hmm. you don't read a lot of police procedurals, but I am really fascinated by how they put the puzzle together. So if you love putting a puzzle together, I definitely think you should try this. It was so, so smart. I did listen also to the audio um, is narrated by Hilary Huber, who is one Mm. of my favorite narrators. And so I was able to hear the Swedish pronunciation of the people and the places, that added just a whole nother level of enjoyment. This story was so surprising. Not only was I not able to put the puzzle pieces together, I just enjoyed being along for the ride. And I do want to say, I think I mentioned I loved Aira. I want to follow her. I've already requested book two, which comes out January 10th. It's called You Will Never Be Found. The best crime fiction and police procedurals set in other countries for me make me want to read every single book in the series, makes me want to stay with the characters because I love the fact that they're flawed. Usually the detectives are always flawed and Mm -hmm. this era was no exception. She was flawed, but I liked it. I mean, she made some really questionable personal life decisions. (laughs) She has a mom also that's struggling with an illness and you get to know, you get to know these side characters. And that's what I also really loved. I became invested in them. I think if you like female detectives like Lacey Flint from the Sharon Bolton series Mm -hmm. and Maeve Kerrigan from the Jane Casey series, you will love this story. So that was We Know You Remember by Tove Ostradal. That is great. And I know your fellow police procedural and series lovers <laughs> will very much appreciate that recommendation. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I'm like, police procedural. I know. I didn't think I was going to get you. Um, but that's but, okay. That's yeah. good. Like, there are plenty of people that enjoy those. Yes. And, and I, this was like such a fun hidden gem find for me. 
because I actually picked this book up at the library in print a while ago, didn't read it, returned it, and then it came on my radar. This is exactly the type of Scandinavian crime fiction that I personally like. So yeah, I'm, you You all will probably be hearing about book two because I can't mm-hmm. wait to continue. Good. All right. My shelf edition is A Nail in the Head by Andrew Van Way. And this is an author. He's I think he's more indie. He was one of the very, very first authors I read where I got an advanced reader copy. I'm talking 10 plus years ago. I think I started reading his stuff. He is horror. And I promise come November and the end of the year, I will get out of my <laughs> horror phase, but I'm in it now. So we'll, okay. we'll just ride that wave. And I think you'll like this premise, Renee. When you bury your past, make sure that it's dead. Oh, <gasps> yeah. It's the mid-90s. Grunge and flannel are fading as the Spice Girls and Hot Topic conquer the malls. Cherry gloss glistens on the lips of youth and modems hiss as America comes online. (laughs) Sold. And in a fog-drenched cove at the edge of New England, something terrible awakens when a fisherman reels in a gruesome catch, the remains of a young woman. Remains still pulsing with furious life. Now, I think I might have lost you on the (laughs) this part. But... (laughs) For Megan Monroe and her friends, this is how their nightmare begins. A whisper over their shoulder, a dark hand reaching out from the edge of their sight, and a name clawing at the back of their minds. A young woman scratched from their memory. To stop this terror, Megan will need to mend broken friendships and reassemble her fractured past. For what stalks them, hungers to remake itself in their image, piece by bloody piece. So this sounds like it's going to definitely be firmly into horror. In fact, it does talk a little bit about body horror. So if you're not a horror fan, keep it moving. But I, I love the sound of this one. You know I love shattered friendships. I love a secret. I love the 90s. I also really like the cover. I grabbed this one in paperback, and this just came out this past Tuesday. So it's a real shelf edition. Okay. This is A Nail in the Head by Andrew Van Way. What I love is that is a, a lyric from a Nine Inch Nails song from the 90s. So like even the title ties into that very 90s Oh, that's feel. fun. All right. Yeah, I hope you read that soon so you can tell us about it. All right, my shelf edition is coming February 7th, 2023, and it's Big Swiss by Jen Began. Now, I am hoping that this is my 2023 Like a House on Fire. Remember how you know Ooh. I love Like a House on Fire this year? Listen to this. This is billed as an original and funny novel about a sex therapist's transcriptionist. That's all, yeah, follow that. Who falls in love with a client while listening to her sessions. And then, okay, so cute. Okay, listen to this. Greta lives with her friend Sabine in an ancient Dutch farmhouse in Hudson, New York. Greta f- spends her days transcribing therapy sessions for a sex coach who calls himself Om. She becomes infatuated with his newest client a repressed married woman she affectionately refers to as Big Swiss, since she's tall, stoic, and originally from Switzerland. So as Greta becomes more fascinated by Big Swiss's refreshing attitude toward trauma, she realizes they both have dark histories, but Big Swiss has chosen to remain unattached to her suffering while Greta continues to be tortured by hers. And then, this is the kicker, one day, Greta goes to the dog park, Tina, 
She goes to Come the on. dog park. Come on. She hears a voice that she recognizes calling for her dog. And in a panic, she introduces herself with a fake name because this other person is Big Swiss. And the two of them strike up a friendship. And Big Swiss is obviously unaware of Greta's true identity. And the story goes from there. So it's being billed as bold, outlandish, and filled with irresistible characters and is both a love story and a examination of infidelity, mental health, sexual stereotypes, and more. That's Big Swiss by Jen Began. Heck yeah. Snaps for that one. Uh That sounds so perfect. Also, Big Swiss is the funniest nickname. Like, I I hope it's not used ad nauseum. Like, the leg, the leg, the leg in the local. I know. But (laughs) Big Swiss is funny. But isn't that setup like Uh how original, an original job, and then, because that could happen. You could, you could like listen to someone's story and run into them at the dog park then. Oh, it 100% happens. Oh, that's so good. That's really, really fun. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, including our book club meetings, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. But this is set on the Cornish coast. Side sidebar. Where is that? Cornish? Where is that at? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't write. I didn't add that to my notes. Cornwall. Where is Where the is Cornish? Cornwall? It's in Great Britain. Located in the far west of Great Britain on a peninsula tumbling into the vast Atlantic Ocean. Okay. Almost completely surrounded by sea. Perfect. All right. Okay.